Episode 44, Religious Sanity. Back with Pastor Andrew. Yes, and I thought that uh, we can return back to our early episodes. We started that by talking about uh, Ugarit, mm -hmm. uh, that late Bronze Age city. Yes. Uh, with uh, famous texts, religious mythological texts. And this time I, I, I thought that we can talk about their day-to-day -day religion and hmm. uh, perhaps what we can learn from it. Uh, they had temples there and there was an Baal temple and Dagan temple. Different temples for different gods. Different temples for different gods, yes. Uh, you could. Uh, these were the given names. We really don't know how they call them. We did not find any inscription besides uh, uh, stelae, like stelas, uh, dedicated to those gods in those places. So that was uh, how uh, scholars decided to name them. So those were two major uh, religious installations. Uh, in the city, uh, then they had uh, in Acropolis, like on the highest place of the of the city. Uh, then they had an Hurrian temple. There were texts uh, there uh, discovered uh, in uh, this Hurrian language, written in the cuneiform, but uh, uh, of a different kind, completely different family of languages and. Uh, uh, then there was a uh, royal palace uh, chapel and finally they discovered uh, in the city center uh, a temple of Rhytons. That's a that? cultic vessel uh, for libation oh. the, that's taken from the Greek uh, language. Uh, uh, simply describing what they discovered there and because in that temple they discovered these write-ons which is like an uh, how would you do like a cup, horn like like a uh, yeah turn up a horn for sure. drinking but more often for religious libations or mm -hmm. offering of liquids mm -hmm. so they discovered their downtown uh, in the city center uh, and temple which was right in the middle of the blocks of uh, dwellings of uh, citizens uh, and uh, on the regular uh, street uh, entering uh, entrance was through the portico or porch into this uh, into this temple and that is very very interesting uh, first of all what we learn from that uh, is that you know normally you have that images of large Egyptians or Babylonian temples and even those in, in modern films say and so on are somehow exaggerated. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Uh, so these temples, even those main temples in Ugarit, and Ugarit was uh, a major shipping power for Mediterranean region involved in bronze uh, business, copper and, and other metals uh, needed for uh, tin, of course, you know, or other uh, uh, like uh, lead uh, involved in, in making uh, uh, alloys, 
mm-hmm. bronze alloys. Uh, so that was their main business. And in Bronze Age, that was, um, you know, uh, like for us these days, uh, fossil fuels, mm-hmm. uh, a major uh, commodity, and they were involved in, in doing business uh, with, with, with these commodities. So uh, this was the main, uh, main hub, equivalent to, say, uh, Shanghai mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Hamburg mm-hmm. or Liverpool. Uh, so maritime power and and their temples were relatively small you know you can hardly fit uh, into those two major temples i mentioned baal and dagan uh you can hardly fit there more than 100 people say you know or something like that mm-hmm. it's uh very very small uh and those were the temples which had courtyards and uh, where burnt offerings could be offered, you know, the offerings of animals, a part of which would be burned to God as, as a uh, burnt offering. Mm-hmm. That's our general misconception of, of, of religious installations or uh, temples that we think much larger than they yeah. in reality were. Uh, the Dagan temple was clearly had very thick walls so we assumed that it was a relatively high structure something like two three stories uh, tall uh, Baal temple was probably two stories tall uh, something like that uh, so that, that's first thing and then uh, this discovery of a small temple in the city center just on a regular street is is very in, intriguing and interesting when you think about it. It's probably the closest to what we would consider now nowadays in New York City uh, as an just regular uh, city church, like mm-hmm. uh, our church, Rutgers mm-hmm. Church. Say you know we 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 just face Seventy uh, Third Street and. Uh, if you go along the Broadway, you can hardly notice that there is a church there. Yeah. Uh, so it is in the uh, line of uh, facades of, of other buildings all around, uh, just like there in Ugarit. Uh, uh, it was uh, also the religious life in this temple or religious life around this temple was uh, of a different kind uh, than in those larger you know, or more official uh, temples uh, uh, on an Acropolis. Inside uh, the temple, one can envision relatively mundane form of uh, religious life. And somehow a life which we can ourselves relate to mm-hmm. more than you know what we usually see in in reconstructions, uh, film reconstructions, and documentaries yeah. about uh, ancient temples or something like that. Because that that whole temple, if it was uh, their sanctuary, we would call it probably uh, was about ten meters by fifteen meters big, with two columns supporting the the ceiling. And there was a platform, but otherwise there were benches all around, uh, similar to some uh, older synagogues. I know one from the Prague, where worshippers are actually sitting on stone benches all around uh, the the worship space. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and so there were those uh, write-ons, uh, vessels for uh, liquid offerings. So this was their sanctuary, and then around there like sacristy, uh, that they had a space where you would go into it, uh, clearly the space for administra administrative business mm. done around. I, I said that it, it was accessed uh, through a porch. Uh, facing this, uh, facing the street, uh, and it, so you would not go directly from uh, from the street inside of the sanctuary, mm -hmm. like with our current churches. churches uh, yeah. you, you know, you would have access there, but you would not have direct access. Right. You would go through uh, like narthex. You know, yeah. so first here they went through the porch. Then they went into a narthex, like mm -hmm. a vestibule, mm -hmm. and from the vestibule they entered uh, into the sanctuary. Uh, that sanctuary was this relatively small, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, with mostly uh, down-to-earth liturgies, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the pastoral liturgies we would call them so uh, taking care of the worries and the health of people and and uh, and their aspirations and their hopes and and all of that would be centered around that definitely no as i mentioned burnt offerings mm -hmm. or anything of that kind more like uh, libations or something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, burning maybe incense mm -hmm. uh, I'm not aware whether they found there are some incense, small incense altars, it is possible. But definitely it was called after those uh, vessels for uh, liquid offerings. Mm -hmm. uh, interestingly also, there are clear signs that this uh, temple went through several stages. So it, it started much larger and then was uh, made a somehow smaller. Mm. Uh, that whole complex, uh, that the larger building, uh, was redeveloped, we would say, in New York City, uh, and uh, was redeveloped so that uh, parts of it were given to uh, commercial use. Uh, which uh, either was uh, administrative, we don't know, or families lived lived there. Uh, you know, it tells you that the uh, real property became more valuable, and so they kind of used the space uh, accordingly. Mm -hmm. uh, the value of the built-up area became more expensive, so they diversified. I don't know whether they completely sold it to someone else or were renting it uh, like many churches in New York City these days are doing. Uh, so that's that's the similarity. Uh, and interestingly also across the street from this temple there was another something like an industrial operation which was uh, an oil press for pressing olive oil. Mm. Uh, it was not strictly associated with any dwelling uh, habitation, not with habitation, not with a building for people living there. So it was really an industrial operation. Uh, and 
that is also one reason why uh, anthropologists, archaeologists think that uh, that oil press was operated by the temple across the street. Huh. Uh, almost like a side, uh, almost like a side business or something. So it uh, supported and, and, the temple. And, you know, we, we generally uh, uh, assume that if 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 in ancient times something was what we would consider uh, what we would consider. Um, industrial, that it was not associated with religion. But go as little far as uh, medieval Europe and you would see monks uh, brewing beer. Mm -hmm. uh, you would see them uh, keeping gardens, uh, running business uh, to keep themselves alive, but at the same time as a part of their religious life. Mm -hmm. Ora et labora, you know, pray and work. And uh, that's the medieval Christian way of looking at it. Now project that even further back and this uh, merger of realities of life can become even tighter. And, and I would say that that pressing of the oil might be part of their religious life, just as whatever was happening in that sanctuary. And uh, having there those rites uh, for libations, they could be for oil libations. Mm -hmm. And so the whole operations might be uh, circling around an, some worship of an oil making, say. Uh, or uh, I'm not aware of any deity associated in Ugarit, in Semitic life. Uh, and right now I'm thinking out loud. I'm not aware of any uh, associated with uh, olive trees or olive oil. I would need to go and check it. But it is very easy to imagine. And... Um, no, I, we know that, that, that they had uh, divination practices with oil, where they were pouring oil over water or other heavier liquids mm. where oil would float over and they'll use that for divination. Mm. So um, that's, uh, that's known also. So the, why they consider that to be the, the operations of the temple is also that generally if it was an industrial operation, it'll be attached to a dwelling. Mm -hmm. But over here it is not. So that the dwelling in quotation marks is actually the temple across the street mm -hmm. where the deity is patron of pressing oil mm -hmm. across the street or something like that. So uh, that, that's that's very interesting thing. And many churches these days, uh, not that tightly associated, but have something like that, which is keeping them alive, especially in as expensive place as New York City. So you, you'll see the churches uh, owning uh, rental buildings, where they are renting apartments, where they are renting offices. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one nearby church uh, is uh, renting out uh, space for Starbucks, for instance, up uh, uh, along the Broadway. Our church uh, has uh, in its property a uh, bank branch. Mm -hmm. 
so that, that's another uh, way of, of keeping ourselves uh, alive and uh, afloat. Uh, in Ugarit it was probably even tighter. You know, we are renting out that space for a bank. Over there, they were operating it directly. Yeah. You know, but but just that headache and everything associated with running a business of that kind, it's it's better to to rent it out. I'm so, I'm I'm thinking as you're talking of of visiting a a monastery uh, uh, years ago that had a uh, they were running a business of they were making the hosts. Mm -hmm. For different churches, in yes, the, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the in their that, kitchen. That's very very common. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and very uh, very common. So it was a business, you know, that, that 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 allowed them to keep the monastery running, and and that's that's oriented towards the sacred uh, space. Yes, exactly. but uh, you have the the really examples like in Belgium. Uh, it's it's famous for Bel Belgian monks uh, brewing beer, for instance, yeah. in Europe. Yeah. Uh, very often high alcohol content beers, mm -hmm. you know, heavy, strong beers, yeah. uh, for instance. Barley or, wines. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, barley wines. Yeah. Uh, other thing is uh, the winemaking uh, is, is a similarly associated throughout Europe with mm -hmm. the spread of Christianity and, of course, uh, monastic orders mm -hmm. uh, who were those who were bringing this viticulture uh, into the places to the point that it became almost ridiculous because then they were growing uh, wine and vineyards in Sweden mm. and as north as Scotland. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, trying to keep communion going, you know, mm -hmm. here you have an, another element of communion, you know, besides those hosts you mentioned. So that's another, but uh, really with daily lives, uh, doing uh, just regular business, keeping trades uh, uh, during the dark ages, for instance, going uh, in, in Europe, preserving those uh, skills of artisans, before the high medieval times took over and the cities started to, through their guilds and, and so on, perpetuate that. But yeah. uh, there was that dark time when, when they were really the centers of, of keeping and preserving knowledge from, uh, uh, from Roman and Hellenistic times. But, um, yeah, 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 you know, I, I think that our dichotomy of thinking, you know, it's either secular or holy mm -hmm. or religious is uh, is uh, to large extent artificial. Yeah. Or it's our modern invention back yeah. then that was more uh, integrated. And uh, I, I I like this idea of of having actually these uh, clearly polytheistic but Semitic, because this was a Semitic temple. You know, uh, uh, people worshiping in a way we would ourselves recognize. We would yeah. probably not recognize strictly their theology or the stories <laughs> they were telling each other, even though that might not be that different. You know, like reading some of those Ugaritic texts, you they are not copies of the Bible. But there are similar genres. Yeah. There are some similar names. We learned that early on in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. about Daniel, for instance. Yeah. And we have a book of Daniel, which is one of the latest of the whole Bible. 
you know, partly written in Aramaic. Uh, but over here, you have traditions about Daniel going to Bronze Age. Mm. Uh, mm. They have nothing in common, mm. the, the biblical Daniel and this Daniel. Yeah. But uh, there is this lore right. of the story of Daniel uh, behind it. Mm -hmm. So here we go. That's one thing. Then, then you have here the stories about uh, uh, royalty and kings yeah. going for expeditions and, and, and so right. on. And, and even the burnt offerings. I mean, even the burnt offering is in... Is in our Bible, is in, yeah. is in the, the which would not happen in this this particular temple, right? You know, right but their right. liturgy would not have it that perhaps. So the, it'll be even closer than say Jerusalem temple. Mm. What I'm what I mean, this temple down in the center of Ugarit would be so similar to synagogues, definitely old synagogues, medieval synagogues or ancient synagogues, and largely, I would say, to, to our life, even without those burn offerings. Yeah. Uh, because psalms would be sang, and we know that they had some psalms, and we talked about one psalm, uh, which is almost verbatim preserved in some ancient uh, Egyptian papyrus, where there are only names of deities switched mm. between Yahweh mm. and, and, oh, uh, and, and Egyptian and uh, these uh, polytheistic Semitic gods, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they'll sing psalms like we know in, in synagogues or in our churches. They would read or not read, as you said, but uh, tell the stories of a similar kind about their hero kings and how yeah. they over uh, how they overcame adversities like we have about King David say or King Solomon and, and others uh, or uh, judges uh, those folk heroes uh -huh. uh, of, of Israel uh, and, and they had similar stories uh, themselves very, very similar in, in the context, uh, uh, written in poetry, which tells me they are older mm. than those we have in, in Bible because they are written in prose mm -hmm. predominantly. So, um, it's, it's, it's very intriguing to, to see polytheistic, Semitic antecedent of, of our Sunday worship or yeah, yeah. Uh, Sabbath worship or uh, worship on Sabbath yeah. uh, uh, on Saturday for, for temples. And what does it mean to you to feel that connection to those worshipers? Uh, I, it, it, it brings my faith into immediately much deeper level. I feel more deeply rooted in in this ancient tradition, mm. uh, and and knowing enough uh, of you know how much uh, of that world somehow survived, say through the Bible, Hebrew Bible, and partly New Testament into our days, mm -hmm. uh, is is just marvelously enriching, because here we are really tapping the spiritual and intellectual 
treasure. Yeah. Uh, which predates us and is providing us with foundation for our lives, which is unfortunate that not that many people are there, and especially, you know, Christian or Jewish fundamentalism, which would completely dismiss all of this as an heretical and, and uh, is depriving themselves mm -hmm. of it. Suddenly recognizing that our faith in these ancient forms is like twice as old yeah. than somehow the oldest dating, which would be for the biblical tradition, mm -hmm. is, is just amazing. You know, yeah. and, and I, I, I like it and I wouldn't, I think that the seminaries these days, uh, the, those schools training clergy, which are generally using uh, that uh, those ancient texts, say, either from Ugarit or from Babylonia and elsewhere, they are using it as a negative example. You know, they are saying, oh, yeah, they had a flood story, but just look how much more spiritual the flood story in the Bible is. And that it is a rejection of all that polytheism or what, mm. uh, whatever. So it is using it as a negative image. Yeah. That it is actually, you know, it's, it's possible to do that. Because there is clear, there are clear differences, and there is clear growth. But emphasizing discontinuity rather than continuity, it means that we are depriving ourselves mm. of the, that depth and richness which we could otherwise tap. Yeah, and and it's it, it's a pity, and you know this particular temple of right horns is for me that kind of connection and being here in New York City and, and serving a church which I can easily envision uh, being transplanted into this uh, Bronze Age uh, yeah. town is yeah. uh, with of course some tweaks and changes yeah. <laughs> is, is just making me a humbler but at the same time, better rooted and happier. Yeah, yeah. And even in, in, in this time when we can't go to our, to our holy places right now, we can't go to our sacred places. Yes, yeah. Right now. Uh, just hearing you talk um, makes me long for the time when we can return mm -hmm. with people. And s sitting on those benches, and those benches. Along, yeah. you know, in that sanctuary yeah. and, and, and worshiping together and, and, and praying together and speaking together yeah. and discussing, say, yeah. and hopefully also singing, even though there are those question marks about, yeah. you know, what this current pandemic can do to our singing and yeah. the, the, the ability to sing together. But Eventually, there'll be time when we'll be singing yes. again. I cannot imagine uh, our uh, faith and our worship yeah. without singing. It goes as far back as we can 
imagine. Amazing. Definitely here into Ugarit, which would be more than three and a half thousand years ago. Oh, that's amazing. And even further, because that's when the city ceased to exist. Mm -hmm. Will be three and a half thousand years ago, roughly, you know, or uh, mm. three thousand and. 200 or something like that but uh, the, the temple was there much earlier than the end of the <laughs> yeah uh, of that city yeah uh, i yeah. said that there were several stages that it started larger so you know you can easily say it is over three and a half thousand years yeah. old maybe even more that's amazing yeah. that's amazing well thank you for bringing thank this you. to us today until next time mm -hmm.